Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Disclosure Podcast. I am your host, Ed, and I thought that we could start the whole podcast series probably with uh, kind of a breakdown of media bias and kind of how the media represents veganism and where we could go through some of the things that have happened this year, but also kind of look at previous years and just look generally at how the media presents veganism. Um, And I think the best place to start with this is is to, to look at what happened so far this year. Um, and then we can discuss maybe last year as well, which was also really um, kind of really pivotal, I think, in terms of, of press and media and how veganism was portrayed. Um, but the, the reason I wanted to start with this year, I, I think it is, is it's a nice tie-in, is when, when I talk about media and, and media bias, of course, I'm talking about print media. I'm talking about, you know, online press coverage. Um, but I'm also talking about TV and, you know, how TV programs represent veganism and um, and the plant-based lifestyle. Um, and so th- at the beginning of this year, there was a program on Channel 4 called Dispatches. And the t- Dispatches is a long-running series on Channel 4. And it's supposed to be kind of like an investigative, journalistic, kind of very credible and respectable TV program. Um, and I always kind of looked to, to Dispatches as being kind of this source of credibility and kind of unearthing and talking about things that are a little bit more maybe controversial and doing things that maybe you would expect investigative journalists to do. And so they decided to air a program called The Truth About Vegans. I think it aired on like the 2nd of January. So straight into the new year, straight when everyone's trying veganery, they air this program on Channel 4. Um, and the program itself was, well, it was kind of kind of ridiculous, really, in, in the way they portrayed vegans. And they tried to try to make out the whole movement as being this kind of radical extremist movement, kind of with the frameworks of violence kind of integrated within that movement. Um, and with activists in particular being kind of these these role models of violence to new vegans, almost like we are radicalizing people who are entering into veganery or we're radicalizing the youth. We're kind of portrayed as these, well, as I said, violent extremist radicals. And so there was a number of, of, of different people mentioned within the documentary. They mentioned um, the work of Viva, who exposed Hogwood Farm, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but they also talked very briefly. I think it's probably about a minute long, the segment. But they mentioned me, and they mentioned some of the work that I've done, and they tried to portray me in the same light as they did with all the vegans, really, on the show. Um, and so I, I kind of jotted down what the narrator said about me, and I thought maybe we could go through it and, and kind of discuss that. And so the narrator says, you know, kind of during the program, he says, he's talking about the Animal Rights March, the Animal Rights March that I host with Surge in London. And also now that's gone global across the world as well. So he talked about the Animal Rights March and he said, it was the brainchild of this man, Ed Winters. He is one of the most prominent vegans in the UK and founded the campaign group Surge. With a big online following, he takes his message to universities. And at this point, they played a clip of me doing my, um, the speech that I gave at universities. And it says, Ed Winters' message is radical. Um, and then it, it plays a little bit of my speech from the 2017 London Animal Rights March. Um, and then they say 10,000 people showed up for the march, four times as many as the year before. But for some in the movement, this isn't about peaceful demonstration. It's about taking the fight to the doorstep of the animal industry. Um, and so, uh, as I say, it's, it's a very short piece and there's not a lot really in there. And it's not particularly bad, but um, I just kind of wanted to isolate a few different points in there. And I think the first one is um, where it says he takes his message to universities. And there's, I think there's like a big sensitivity about kind of what's said at universities and kind of what messages are being put forward to young people. Because, you know, you go to university, you're independent for the first time, you're, you maybe you're slightly more impressionable, you're trying to fit in, trying to find out what kind of like social demographics you want to assign yourself towards. And so the idea that I'm kind of like going to universities with this radical message is almost like an insinuation that I, I am radicalizing people. 
And I think for like the average parent who may be watching, who's you know whose son or daughter has just gone to university, um, and they feel naturally vulnerable because they can't take care of them in the same way that they used to. It kind of maybe rings some alarm bells that maybe oh you know my son's going to university and there's this radical vegan going in there and, and he's preaching kind of these extremist values um, and he's radicalizing my child to kind of hold these extremist values as well. So I think on the surface it's it's quite a harm harmless kind of statement. I mean it's quite objective really. With a big online following he takes his message to universities. I I, I do take my message to universities as something that you know I, I spend a lot of time doing. So kind of objectively speaking it's not that much of a thing but but when you kind of take it outside and, and apply it to the context of the program and apply it with the context of what else has been said in this little segment it, it starts to become a little bit more insidious and it becomes more about this this idea of portraying me as kind of infiltrating um, being maybe potentially dangerous to, to young impressionable people and so they follow this up with that kind of radical message if you like and so when it says ed winter's message is radical it then cuts to this this portion a very small portion of the speech i gave the london animal rights march um, and in this portion that they they show they chose to show, um, I say I promise you a future exists um, where every animal farm is closed forever and burnt to the ground. And so I guess they use this clip because it is naturally quite inflammatory. Um, it is obviously quite emotive, um, and the, the the imagery of, of of burning something to the ground it is, I guess it, it has tendencies of being seen as kind of. A violent act, you know, an act of arson, which, you know, we would consider to be probably an immoral act. Um, but again, in, in the context of, of what I'm saying, you know, it's not an, an incitement of violence in itself. Um, it's saying, I promise you, a future exists where the last animal farm is closed forever um, and therefore burnt to the ground. And I think when you kind of simplify down what I'm saying to the point where it's just, you know, this building serves no purpose anymore. And so we decided to destroy it, then it really removes any kind of that potential worry of incitement. Um, and so they, they chose to, to use this kind of clip of me, I think, to portray me in, in, in that way. And, you know, for those of you who kind of have seen a lot of the work that I do and have, you know, watched my interviews and, and listened to some of the things that I say on, on live TV and such, you can kind of probably imagine why that clip was the only clip they could choose to show because I don't normally speak in, in, in kind of that kind of... Um, it's not that I'm not emotive, of course, I speak emotively, but I don't speak using that kind of terminology. And so they very kind of precisely chose that clip. And even though when you apply it to the context of what I say normally you can see that there's no real issue with it but when you when you kind of take it out of context and you put it into a vacuum um then you know your mind can run and kind of like portray or you can kind of imprint kind of what you want someone to think of that person based on these kind of very small snippets of things that they've done and things they've said so it's kind of disingenuous and misleading um and then when it when it ends with i saying, but for some of the movement this isn't about peaceful demonstration it's about taking the fight to the doorstep of the animal industry i, I think in, 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 in and of itself again you think well they, they, they talk about peaceful demonstration but everything that you do a demonstration sharing a video i mean whatever it is is taking the fight to the doorstep of the animal industry i mean by advocating for veganism that's literally what you're doing and so terminology is very important even when they refer to what i do as being radical i think that's a really interesting word you know, people think, well, the word radical or radicalization, it, it, it therefore must have negative connotations, and, and often it does. Um, but the word itself, objectively speaking, is, is not negative in and of itself. Every social justice movement that's ever exist has been radical precisely because it seeks to campaign and change the paradigms of society. And so it must therefore be radical because if it wasn't radical, it would cease to serve a purpose. I mean, every social justice movement, every, you know, kind of uh, rights movement exists because it is radical. 
Because if, if it wasn't, if these rights already existed, it wouldn't be radical to campaign for these rights. I mean, if we weren't slaughtering animals, then it wouldn't be radical to say we shouldn't slaughter animals. But the fact that we do is why it's radical, because it contradicts the mainstream thinking of society. Um, but there again, you know, just because something's mainstream or something's normalized doesn't mean it's moral. So the insinuation that something being radical is somehow equated to it being immoral is 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 disingenuous at best because actually often what's normalized is what's immoral um, and what's seen as radical is a progressive shift towards a more moral society which is exactly what veganism is it's a progressive shift towards a more moral society when we're actually harming others isn't seen as radical and i think it's quite an indictment of of the society that we all exist in that the word radical can be applied to a group of people that simply want others to not be harmed human or non-human and i think what you know what what the media tries to do often is it tries to show us and i see this all the time and it's 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 really it's it i think it's i think it's very kind of misleading and i think again i don't think it's it comes from a genuine place i think again that word disingenuous which is often a word that can be used to describe how the media portrays vegans but it's disingenuous because they try and say ah you know these vegans they care more about non-human animals than humans and you know they're very aggressive and violent and they'll harm humans to save pigs and it's like well no actually that that's that's not true at all you know i think um we're actually the movement that's campaigning not to harm kind of any species really um as opposed to kind of picking and choosing which species are okay to harm and which species are what illegal to harm that kind of contradiction society um i would say is is probably kind of more of an extremist radical position because it's not based in any kind of grounded logic or rational thinking it has no kind of um it, there's no kind of continuation of a sensible moral code there it's it's it's, it's so all over the place that you can kind of pick and choose which animals you can kill and hurt based on where you are in the world and based on how you're raised there's no there's no kind of continuous logical sense to that whereas veganism is very much a a a logical sensible path of morality where we're not going down these weird side streets trying to find shortcuts to you know justify our own lifestyle we're saying if something's wrong then let's apply that across the board as much as we possibly can within a civilized society and that's all that veganism is 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 accepting something that most of us accept within society that harming others should be frowned upon when it's not necessary which of course within our society it's not necessary to harm animals and therefore if that's our logical path of thinking don't harm others if you don't have to then to not live into this kind of morally contradictory society you have to you have to apply that kind of you in, in a unanimous and in a kind of ubiquitous way which is precisely what veganism preaches to do so a radical is not necessarily um negative um i think that's interesting but it's often perceived in a negative light so when they throw radical or ed winter's message is radical people who are watching are going to think ah oh, he's dangerous or that's a negative thing or this is someone we shouldn't listen to because they're contradicting the society's you know paradigm so to speak um so I did want to mention that, and um, there was actually um, I quite lo- I quite like looking at Farmers Weekly. Um, I think it's important that we do look at places or like sites such as Farmers Weekly because it gives us like an insight into what farmers are talking about, some of the issues they're facing, and you know, and I think it's just important that we keep tabs on that kind of thing. Um, but they did a, a little article the following day after dispatches. And I kind of wanted to run through some of the things that were said because I've talked a little bit about me, but what about some of the other stuff in the program? And a lot of the program was centered around Viva, the animal rights charity um, in the UK, and their work exposing Hogwood Farm. Now, if you've not seen the footage from Hogwood Farm, then you really just go and have a look for it now. Because I think to really put into context the absurdity of what is said in this statement, but but more importantly, what was portrayed in, in this series or in, in the TV program, I think you have to see it yourself. 
Um, because I think once you see what happened to these animals and what happens to these animals, um, it it makes what's said in the documentary really, really disturbing. Um, and so let me go through that quickly. So this is this is the Farmer's Weekly article. Um, it starts off, the paragraph does mention me, um, a Channel 4 documentary has highlighted the expanding gulf in attitudes to meat production between farmers and vegans. Farmers have reacted with fury to comments by campaigners such as Earthling Ed calling for animal farms to be burnt to the ground, while vegans say they should while vegans say that the show gave too much time to an unrepresentative minority. Now, this is quite an interesting um, first paragraph. So, okay, there's a bit about me. That's fair enough. Um, vegans say that the show gave too much time to an unrepresentative minority. Now, okay, you might think of face value again. Well, this in itself doesn't seem too too kind of controversial. But what, what they're trying to do here is is they're trying to kind of create a division. So you have the vegans. And then you have the vegan activists. And the vegan activists are an unrepresentative minority. They are, you know, the extremists. Other vegans don't like the unrepresentative minority. They see them as being a problem within themselves. So what they're saying is these people don't actually represent vegans at all. Um, And they're trying to create these divisions so that people who have just gone vegan, say, for veganery or who are vegan and don't advocate or aren't activists, um, they're trying to create that divide within our movement as well. Um, you know, as, as we know, there's that famous quote, and I think it's from Gandhi that says, you know, the greatest threat to any movement is the movement itself. Um, and, and, in, and indeed, this is true. Movements that have failed have failed because of internal conflicts, because of problems within that movement, not because of external sources necessarily, although they can be um, somewhat perpetuated by the antagonistic behaviors of external sources. Um, so this is, in a sense, I think, a very kind of subtle, maybe not even conscious, but a very subtle way of trying to create these kind of internal conflicts within the movement to create division. Because one thing that's very obvious is that veganism is just going from strength to strength. And the industries and the farmers and everyone else who opposes veganism, well, they've not held back so far. Um, And they've tried to do things to kind of counteract the rise of veganism. And and it hasn't worked so far. In fact, it's it's failing. Veganism is growing all the time um, and will continue to grow. You know, future trends, you know, are very much showing that veganism is is not a movement that's plateauing, not even close. It's in fact, it's still continuing to pick up pace. And so all the tactics they've tried so far have failed. And so you have to look historically and think, well, what's, you know, what's worked in creating problems and movements before internal conflict? So perhaps we can kind of stoke the flyers, uh, the fires, sorry, so to speak, of internal conflict. And so let's let's portray people who are advocating the message, who are pushing the message, who are doing the groundwork to make sure that people are understanding why to go vegan. Let's portray them in a negative light because we can't attack the message. We can't attack the objective truth of the message. But what we can try and do is attack the messenger, so to speak. So you can't discredit the message because the message is, is grounded in facts and logic, statistics, just kind of it's grounded in truth, right? But what you can do is you can attack the people who are stating the message because if you make them seem incredible, you by you know default make what they're saying seem not very credible as well. And so I think this is what's happening here. You know, veganism's growing. So instead of trying to you know attack the message of veganism, let's attack the people pushing that message to try and stop the growth of that. Again, very subtle. Just it's, you know, it's half a sentence, but it's it's. I think it's very interesting to try and analyze words, analyze how sentences are formulated. You know, the the semantics that are used, and and, uh, and try and analyze what what's the hidden agenda in some of this stuff. Anyway, um, I'll go on. And so the Farmer's Weekly article then goes on to talk about Warwickshire pig farmer Brian Hobel, um, who is the owner of Hogwood Farm, um, who has been repeatedly targeted by protesters, has been forced to spend £50,000 on security after repeated break-ins on his farm, including by campaign group Viva. 
He told the show's presenter, Farmer's Son, Morlin Sanders, so the show's presenter is a farmer's son, straight off the back, that the harassment has continued despite the farm being repeatedly exonerated by inspections from bodies including the RSPCA and Red Tractor. Now, Red Tractor, um, the scheme, Red Tractor Assurance Scheme, um, is a scheme that's run by farmers where the, the criteria to, to become Red Tractor approved is decided by farmers. And as such, the, it's, it's a completely redundant scheme. You know, you're analyzing yourself. People from within your industry are telling you how to operate and telling you whether you're doing it okay or not. I mean, where's the oversight? Where's the scrutiny? Where's the accountability? It it, it doesn't exist. I mean, this is this is complete um, bias. It's complete manipulation to the consumer because they see this and they say, "Oh, there's the red tractor label." Therefore, I believe that I am buying a product that meets the standards that I've assigned in my head. But in reality, that's not true. And 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 these assurances and schemes are decided by the industries themselves and, and by the farmers. So straight off the bat, like we, so your farmer has been exonerated by people who work within your industry. Well, okay, that's that's hardly surprising, is it? I mean, of course there has. I mean, people within your industry aren't going to hold, you know, aren't going to put their hands up in the air and say the vegans are right because that's counterproductive to them as individuals and to who and what they represent. The Red Tractor Scheme straight away is, is ridiculous. And the RSPCA, what we know very clearly about them is what they preach is very different to what they act on and what they do. And so the RSPCA stands for the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and is the biggest welfare organisation um, in the UK and in Australia as well. Um, and again, for them to exonerate what this farm does means absolutely nothing because the RSPCA condones the gassing of pigs, it condones the maceration of day-old male chicks, it condones the separation of dairy calves from their mothers and, um, and the isolation of newborn dairy calves for up to six weeks at a time. Um, they condone you know, the, the killing of, of pregnant animals, um, they condone just the general slaughter of animals, they condone mutilations like chopping off teeth and cutting off tails. Basically, all the horrible stuff that happens to animals, the RSPCA condones own um, and say that's okay so again how can we trust these organizations who a make money from animal agriculture um, and b have a historical um uh, kind of presence of having the welfare of animals as, as really just a facade for pushing their own financial um and kind of corporate wealth and and um status how can we trust these organizations and these assurance schemes to truly care about animals when all they've shown throughout the past is that they don't i mean the rspca have been documented um you know putting down perfectly healthy euthanizing animals they've been documented doing horrible things you know and you can look that up yourself and have a look so again the fact that this 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 gentleman brian hobel's farm hogwood farm has been exonerated by by these corporations these schemes these charities whatever label you want to assign to them means nothing in terms of what this farm actually does and more importantly whether or not what this farm does is moral and just and ethical because again what the rspca and red tractor condone is by no means what is moral objectively speaking so again it's it's kind of no it's no symbol of pride to be exonerated by a corporation or a charity or a scheme that upholds values that are immoral okay so but let's go back to that first one where, you know, Brian Hobel says he's been repeatedly targeted by protesters. Yes, because you, you have a farm that does horrible things to animals. Perspective is so important here. He has been forced to spend £50,000 on security after repeated break-ins on his farm. Now, this, this kind of strikes me as a little bit strange. Now, I'm going to put this into context with the, the next paragraph down. This is a quote from Brian Hobel, the owner of Hogwood Farm. I think we have better conditions than most nursing homes. Um, okay. 
I'm going to talk about that sentence, but I want to apply that into context of what's just been said. So if if, if your farm has such wonderful conditions, if your farm is, is, a, is a pinnacle of animal well-being, of animal welfare, of animal respect, if your farm is basically just this, the kind of standard for what you know farming should look like, then why are you spending £50,000 on security to stop people coming in and documenting how good your farm is? This is something that kind of really confuses me. The slaughterhouses and farms are some of the most secured and difficult places to access. And if you do access them, it's frowned upon, um, you know, sometimes illegal. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, what they say is that what they do is amazing. Now, if I was Brian Hobel and I thought that my farm was as good as, you know, better than the conditions of most nursing homes, you know, where, you know, elderly people go to be respected, to be looked after, to be cared for, um, then Viva would be doing him a favor. Then the footage that Viva, you know, you know, upload online should actually do the opposite of what Viva wants it to do. It should actually encourage people to want to stock Mr. Hobel's pig meat products. It should encourage people to not want to be vegan because they look at it and they go, wow, this farm is so amazing. This farm is just really respecting and looking after their animals. He must clearly love his animals. Therefore, I'm going to continue buying these products. And the supermarkets would continue stocking his products. But there's a whole thing about the fact that, they, you know, Viva were trying to get Tesco's to drop, you know, Hogwood Farm as a supplier. Well, I mean, if, if what happened in these farms was so good, Tesco would turn around to Viva and say, thank you so much for showing this footage. It's, it's completely reaffirmed to us why we want to support Hogwood Farm because the footage shows that this person, Mr. Hobel, really cares for his animals. And in fact, he treats them better than most nursing homes. If this statement was true, then he wouldn't be spending money trying to keep people out. He'd have his doors wide open and be welcoming people and come on, take as many pictures as you want. You know, come film these animals. Come see how happy they are. Come see how well I look after them because that would turn people off becoming vegan this is this is what i don't understand is when people talk about humane slaughter and slaughterhouses if i owned a slaughterhouse and i truly believed that what i did to those animals was humane and that people wouldn't have a problem with it i would film it and upload it everywhere because surely if it's so good it would turn vegans back to consuming animals how come slaughterhouse footage and footage from farms never turns people back from being vegan it only ever turns people vegan in the first place i've not met anyone or heard or heard of anyone who used to be vegan but is no longer vegan because they saw an animal being murdered that doesn't exist because if you were to show the truth and if you do show the truth it offends people it upsets people it makes them realize that what we do to animals is immoral if i was a slaughterhouse owner um, and i and i had you know was overseeing what happened to these animals and, and it was my business and i was so proud of it and i thought that it was amazing i would have cctv cameras everywhere live streaming it going hey vegans come watch this and you know non-vegans come watch this and, and surely if it was as good as people like mr hobel claim it is then then why is it having the opposite effect i mean the, the truth is the reason he spent fifty thousand on security after repeated break-ins on his farm is because the footage if you've seen it you know is so horrific so unspeakably horrific that it's turning people away and actually there there were people tweeting during the dispatches thing non-vegans saying that the footage from hogwood farm was horrible it's just you you don't have to be vegan to objectively see that what happens to those animals is horrible you know you, you know you do have to be vegan to not be morally hypocritical but you don't have to be vegan to objectively acknowledge that what happens is horrific and horrible and that's exactly what non-vegans were seeing from this footage so so please 
I urge you to go and watch it and, and decide for yourself whether you think they have better conditions than most nursing homes. The reason that Mr. Hobel has spent £50,000 on security is because it reveals what he does as being horrible and horrific and it turns people away from consuming those products and it jeopardizes his profits and it jeopardizes the future of his farms when big suppliers or sorry or big distributors who would take him as a supplier are questioning and being compelled to drop him as a producer i think we have better conditions than most nursing homes said mr hobill who said he was determined to carry on farming um again let's just look at the absurdity of, of what that means how many nursing homes have, 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 has anyone ever been to where the elderly people live on concrete, where they don't have beds to sleep in, where they are, where they are herded inside with no room to move, where they never, never have access to fresh air or sunlight? They're kept in these barren places in the middle of nowhere. How many, how many nursing homes have you been to where, where the elderly people are being mutilated, where they're having like their, you know, their teeth chopped out, cut out, and you know they're being, you know, just horrible things happen to them mutilations in that sense how, and how many how many nursing homes have you been to where you know they have an idea of, of of piling the elderly people into trucks i mean how many trucks have you seen in the motorway full of elderly people like trying to trying to kind of peer out over the sides of the slats it's it the fact that you can even make a comparison make a comparison to what's happening to these pigs and what's happening in nursing homes is ridiculous and and, and, and kind of the hypocritical thing is the next sentence says this this is literally the next sentence the show also featured instagram influencer calf kendall who equated eating lamb to eating a human baby so everyone's offended because they're saying how can you you can't you can't equate you can't say that eating a lamb is the same as eating a baby but you can say that raising animals is the same as having humans in nursing homes so you you can make the equation between non-human animals and humans when it serves your purpose but you can't make the equation between non-human animals and humans when it goes against your purpose um just there's literally two sentences that contradict one another. I mean, that's just how far detached we are. Oh, yeah, the way I treat my pigs is, is just the way that we treat humans. Oh, but the way that we treat animals is nothing like the way that we treat humans, and you can't compare the two. Like, well, which one is it? I mean, obviously, what happens in this person's farm is not what happens in a nursing home, because my goodness, if it was, then we should close down nursing homes straight away like we should animal farms. Okay. Next paragraph, January is set to be full of anti-farming messages as animal rights activists and militant vegans take to social social media, presumably, and the streets in protest of meat and dairy eaters. Now, again, let's, okay, fairly objective. Yes, January is set to be full of anti-farming messages or anti-animal farming messages. Um, And yes, you know, vegans and, and militant vegans, so to speak, and animal rights activists are taking to social media in the streets to protest. Objectively true. But let's look at the last, the last bit. Uh, and this uh, taking to social media and the streets in protest of meat and dairy eaters. Well, that's not actually strictly true. We're not protesting against the people, the eaters. We're protesting against the industries and the systems that are oppressing the animals who are trying to fight to liberate. But when you read this, um, if you're non-vegan, and you go, hang on, I'm a meat and dairy eater. You know, I am the eater of meat and dairy. And so far, they're protesting me and they're going out on the streets to attack me. No, that's that's not true. But when they portray it in that way, what they very cleverly and subtly do is make it seem like we are against them. That is us versus them. That vegans are attacking these people and we're attacking you and we're going for you. And we want, you know, we're going to, come after you angrily and no you know we shouldn't be doing that you know effective activism isn't doing that and i'd say the majority of vegans the vast majority that's not what's happening but by saying that the way that they phrase it it makes it seem like there's this this group of people out there in society who are coming after you and they want you um and i think that that's quite scary to someone because it's like i know you know 
animal rights activists and militant vegans are taking to social media in the streets to raise awareness and to protest against the systems that are in place oppressing animals. Oh, okay, well, that, that doesn't sound too bad. But if we're attacking you, all of a sudden, you know, why would you like these vegans? It's kind of, it makes an enemy out of vegans. Um, so again, just a short article. It's in Farmers Weekly, so you probably expect it to be like that. But I, I just thought it was really... I think we have better conditions than most nursing homes. I, I was gobsmacked when I read that. I just I couldn't believe it. At the bottom of the article, there's also some tweets. Um, and so I thought we could just go through a couple of these tweets and kind of analyze what's been said in them because they, they you know, they touch upon important issues. And so the first one comes from a lady called Kathleen, who says, um, this woman dispatches a fruitcake, presumably about Kath Kendall. These vegans have no right to force their views on other people and use violence on people who are just making a living. Again, this... There's often this this kind of equation between, um, you know, if you're making money from something, well, therefore it must be moral. I don't really know any other situation where that logic is applied. You know, there are there are many things you can do in life that you can make money from, but by no means is that therefore a moral action. You know, what about hitmen? They make money from killing other people. Is that therefore moral? What about in Yulin? Okay, where you know people are paid to you know breed dogs or to kidnap dogs from families. Is it moral for someone in China to kidnap a dog from a family and then cook them and eat them during the Yulin Dog Meat Festival because they make money from doing so? I mean, no, of course not. It's it's not acceptable in any way. But but again, what we have here is people that are using um, logic in very kind of disingenuous and completely nonsensical and, and, and kind of non-linear if you like logic that there's there's you're, you're kind of picking and choosing and so oh farmers it's okay for farmers to use you know to do these things to animals because they make money from it it's not okay for dog farmers to do it. it's not okay to steal people's animals to kill them um, even if you make money from it again if we're going to use an argument and we're going to use logic to try and, and rationalize something what you have to do is you have to work out whether that logic can be applied to, you know kind of in in all different types of situations and if and if it can't well then why why does it apply to this particular situation it, it simply doesn't so we have to get past this idea that because someone makes money from something and their livelihood depends on something that our action is somehow justified that doesn't work that is not a good argument um these vegans have no right to force their views on other people like again this is something that i hear all the time and it always strikes me as unusual i mean i, I understand like I, I, i'm not saying this kathleen is i understand what she's saying she's saying oh you know these people are telling me how i should live my life and i don't appreciate that but but forcing views there's a difference between saying to someone you know i think this is wrong and immoral here are all the reasons why i think that you should change and if you don't then you are consciously doing an immoral thing okay right it's not very nice to hear that but the truth is the truth okay but these vegans have no right to force their views i mean a vegan can't physically force someone to live vegan, right? When you go into a supermarket and you have the choice between, you know, picking up some tofu or some chicken or, or whatever the products are, the vegan and non-vegan products, that choice is on you to make. And you could have a vegan there in the moment who makes you buy something, but every day, every action you make, every item of clothing, every food you buy, every cosmetic you buy, the attitudes that you have in society, whether you buy from breeders or rescue from shelters, no one's forcing you to do these things. These are choices that you make personally yourself. And so a vegan can't force their views. Yes, they can advocate their views. Yes, they can be loud and proud and passionate about their views, but they can't literally force their views. The choices that you make on a day-to-day basis, the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis, you have that personal choice. And so when people say, oh, what about my personal choice? Your personal choice is not being infringed upon. People are just telling you why your personal choice, the choice that you are personally making at this present time is wrong. 
And that isn't something to kind of fight against. That's something to maybe listen to and scrutinize and assess whether or not what they're saying has some veracity or truth or validity to it. And so, yes, you can be offended the first time you hear a message. But if you hear it over and over again, don't blame other people for forcing their views. Maybe do a bit of research and see who's really forcing their views, which is why this kind of statement is so ironic. Because if you look at what's happening to animals, and indeed to our planet as well, it becomes very obvious who's forcing their views. When you buy an animal product, you are literally forcing an animal to live a specific type of life. Most of the time, that's a life of mutilation, of pain, of suffering, of fear. But always, you are forcing an animal to die on your behalf. You're forcing someone to pull a knife across the throat of an animal or to push them into a gas chamber and kill them in an incredibly aversive you know, concoction of, of carbon dioxide. That's what you're literally forcing. You are forcing an animal to suffer and die from you because your views states that you think that that is moral and objectively speaking it is not so when we talk about forcing views the only person or the only group of people forcing their views in this certain situation is a non-vegan who's forcing an animal to suffer for them and also let's look at the climate change global warming aspect of the argument because you know animal agriculture is or the animal agriculture industries are the number one of of most of the environmental calamities and problems that we are currently facing as a species you know you know rainforest destruction land desertification topsoil erosion oceanic dead zones all these things which are accumulating to the collective impact of global warming and now global warming is currently and will continue to um, disproportionately affect the least wealthy and most impoverished people in the world first they're the ones who are feeling the bite of global warming currently and will feel it hardest and quickest Um, and so the question is are you forcing your views on them and when you buy a product that is knowingly causing these problems um, and not only knowingly causing them but is often the main culprit of these problems are are you forcing your views i mean are you considering the views of the people living in impoverished countries who are you know very unwealthy who haven't have no life prospects who are going to suffer first are you forcing your views on them probably that's what i'd argue so when we talk about forcing views i think we need a little bit of um a little bit of self-reflection to understand that actually in this situation, the only views who have been forced are your own. Um, and use violence, again, this, this notion of violence. Um, vegans are not using violence. Um, can you show me an article? Where, where, where have farmers been beaten up? Is, have any farmers been beaten up yet? Have any farmers been, been murdered yet? No. I, mean, I can tell you animal rights activists who have been hurt by hunters um, and at different situations, uh, you know, have been put in hospital because they went and, and did anti-hunting protests. So violence, who is using violence? Is it the person who's mutilating? Is it the person who's exploiting? Is it the person who's, you know, pulling knives across throats? Is that the person who's violence? Or is it the person online or on the street who's saying, hey, look, you know, it's immoral to kill animals. You don't have to. You can survive and thrive on a plant-based diet. I mean, who is really using violence? Again, just a bit of self-reflection is sometimes necessary. Um, Another tweet from someone called Peter, who is, I think, a dairy farmer. Watching dispatches, more important than ever that we as farmers share our story of how we care for our animals to produce quality nutritional food. Hashtag proud of dairy, hashtag team dairy. You know, the hashtag should should say hashtag proud of dairy, hashtag proud of, of, of forcibly impregnating cows, hashtag proud of, of separating babies from their mothers, hashtag proud of picking the babies up myself and carrying them away from their morning mothers, hashtag proud of exploiting mothers for what they produce for their child, hashtag proud of loading up mothers into slaughterhouse trucks, hashtag proud of 
getting and receiving money from the slaughter of another living sentient being that that's that's what hashtag proud of dairy actually involves it involves all these different processes because that's what dairy involves so if you're proud of dairy then you're proud of the fact that you perpetuate a system where mothers cry out for their children because their children have been taken away from them by these farmers who claim they care for their animals you know if you're proud of dairy you're proud of those moments where animals are hung upside down in slaughterhouses kicking consciously as a knife is pulled across their throat that, that's that's what you are proud of so again when you see some like team dairy proud of dairy what is there to be proud of what are you actually proud of because when you isolate and you and you go through all the different parts and processes of dairy and what team dairy means there's very little to be proud of i mean can most people claim that someone should be proud of that i would i would hope not uh, more important than ever that we as farmers share our story okay well, then share your story and on on this tweet there was a clip um, that the farmer Peter had, had uploaded. Um, and the tweet or, or the clip itself was of dairy cows grazing in a field. And so, okay, you see that and you think, you know, if you don't know what happens to dairy cows, you think, okay, that's great. Look, this farmer loves his animals. They're free roaming. I mean, I've seen stuff in America of how animals are treated and they're kept in these horrible, you know, barns where they're denied access to fresh air and sunlight, but not not Peter's farm. Peter looks after his animals because there they are grazing, or at least right now they are. Um, and so but I, what I want to say is do show your story because that's kind of the problem, right? That the problem with what's happening is vegans are sharing the story, the story of how you care for your animals. And that's turning people away from continuing to be proud of dairy. But a lot of people are starting to wake up now to what team dairy actually means precisely because these stories have been shared. Why is it that so few people are aware of the process of what happens to animals? Why is Peter not publicly displaying himself or a vet artificially inseminating the dairy cow by you know, tying her up um, and artificially inseminating her by thrusting his arm inside her anus and, and, and putting semen inside of her cervix? Well, why, why is he not showing that part of the story? Why is he not showing the part of the story where the baby's taken away from the mother? Why is it not showing the part of the story where the mother mourns for the child or the part of the story where the child is locked in a solitary confinement pen for six weeks? Why is it not showing the part of the story where they're loaded into a truck or in a trailer? And why is it not showing the part of the story where they're killed in a slaughterhouse by having a knife pulled across their throat and a bolt put in their head? Because that stuff turns people away from being proud of dairy. So sure, Peter can show a clip of a, an animal eating grass in the field and try and pretend that that's all farming involves. But actually, if you know the truth of it, that cow in a field who you may predict to be happy, actually you realise that they're mourning and they're suffering and that they're not happy. And grazing in a field is like literally nothing. Does nothing to negate all the horrible things that are done to them will continue to be done to them throughout their entire life. So the problem is stories are being shared and farmers don't like it. Um, to produce quality nutritional food, again, nutritional, you know, dairy in particular, full of trans fat, estrogen, hormones, antibiotics, um, saturated fat causes heart disease, cancers, all sorts of horrible things. Very nutritious, very nice. We can kind of move on from that article, but I thought it was quite interesting to look at um, the dispatches program and to analyze kind of how the responses were to it. And I think I've kind of got a whole list of different headlines that portray veganism in a negative light. But I think it's, we kind of got to maybe analyze why this happens. Because I think, you know, we can be overly paranoid. We could say, oh, you know, there's a media bias and mainstream media and conditioning and indoctrination, all this. And of course, yeah, you know, that's often true in many ways. But I think that there's, there's more reasons to it. And I don't think it's necessarily such an insidious thing as, you know, there's this kind of hidden agenda to try and squash veganism. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. And there, are, there are kind of a couple of very strong reasons as to why the media or particular journalists often have a bias against veganism. Um, and, and, and the first and most simple is simply that a lot of journalists and most people within the media industry are, are not yet vegan themselves. And so they want to reaffirm 
their values and reaffirm their beliefs and reaffirm why they shouldn't be vegan and so you know that's often why they'll produce maybe content or, or, or have content that has a particular bias to it because they want to re- kind of reinstate within themselves you know or at least reaffirm within themselves you know why it is they're not vegan and, and why they believe they shouldn't be vegan so i think that's the, the first kind of thing to, to note but the second and most importantly um is that all of these companies all these you know these industries themselves they rely solely on clicks and attention and people coming over to their web page and giving them site traffic and and all of these different elements and so the best way to do that is to post something or to create something that is inflammatory um, that is controversial that kind of capitalizes on what people are talking about a lot at the moment and, and a lot of people are talking about veganism at the moment obviously and so what you've also got to take note of is that people like to be kind of they like to be told good things about their bad habits, right? That old, that kind of quote. People like to kind of, there's this idea of like a kind of like a status quo bias where people are really comfortable the way that they live. Um, and anything that kind of jeopardizes that status quo, the way that they live, is seen as a threat because it's seen as an attack on kind of comfort and convenience and kind of just the, it, it is, it's that comfortableness of just kind of continuing to do what you've always done. And so, what people want to be told or want to have reaffirmed is is why they do what they do and so if you're say a struggling you know media outlet which a lot of them are these days you know they're not necessarily you know gaining the the profits that they used to because press media is such a dying thing and you know and they're all vying for ads online now and ad revenue which means that what they produce needs to get people to click on it and they need to kind of stand out as being you know particularly more wanted than maybe other places and so the way to do that is to produce something that's going to generate a lot of clicks and a lot of kind of views if you like um and the majority of people in society are not yet vegan and i presume the majority of people in society would rather if they had the choice not be vegan um or at least you know not have the understanding of why they should be vegans vegan kind of put upon them um you know we like to bury our heads in the sand and kind of you know ignore the day-to-day kind of bury our heads in the sand and just kind of ignore the negative stuff again this is called the ostrich effect where you know, when, when you're presented with something that's negative or something that kind of questions or confronts your way of life or your beliefs, a lot of the time what we choose to do is just ignore it and just kind of turn away and try and pretend it doesn't exist, bury our heads in the sand, much like ostriches do, hence the name, the ostrich effect. And so that's why that idea of repetition is so important when changing people's minds, because the first few times someone hears something that contradicts them, their values or their beliefs or the way they live, their reaction is to bury their head in the sand and pretend that they don't know anything about it basically what i'm trying to say is that these 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 media outlets they need to get people on their side to want to click on their article and so because most people aren't vegan what most people want to see are articles or kind of content that is catered against veganism because if you if you've got the average person on online or wherever and they're faced with two articles. One is saying why veganism is a terrible thing and it's going to kill everyone. It's not good for the environment and animals, you know, animals, whatever, animal welfare is great. And then you've got another one which is saying we should all be vegan. You know, it's important we should all be vegan. Most people are going to want to click the anti-vegan argument or the anti-vegan article, right? So that's going to generate the most traction, the most traffic, the most ad revenue to these sites. And so that's why I think that happens a lot or it is why that happens a lot because it's going to generate the most shares, the most views, the most clicks, whatever have you. So I think that's, that's the true reason. And I don't think it's this kind of necessary insidious thing where people are trying to quash veganism. You see it in, in all areas. Anything controversial, anything that kind of has two opposing sides to it, the media kind of capitalize on that, try and create divisions because in doing that, it makes them seem more relevant, which they're so desperate to be relevant. So let's kind of go through a couple of um, headlines that 
kind of stand out to me um, and, and kind of discuss discuss them. Um, the first one, this was published in 2019, actually, in the BBC. So this year, just as Veganery started, 5th of January. And it says, vegan diet could have severe consequences, Professor warns. A poorly planned vegan diet could be potentially fatal, fatal a Queen's University Belfast academic has warned. I mean, that headline and kind of subheadline, I mean, there's nothing kind of groundbreaking there. A vegan diet could have severe consequences. A poorly planned vegan diet could be potentially fatal. But a poorly planned any diet could be potentially fatal. I mean, you can eat Oreos and kettle chips all day and be vegan, but of course that's going to cause you problems. And of course you're going to run into issues down the line. I mean, anyone would admit that, you know, vegan or non-vegan, you can be vegan in an unhealthy way, right? I mean, that's in, in, in essence, it's a nothing statement. It has no, it has no, nothing to it right i mean it's it of course a polyplant vegan diet could be potentially fatal because any diet you know especially a non-vegan diet is going to be potentially fatal um so so it's it's a very misleading headline because you see it and you think my goodness veganism must be really dangerous for you because you know it could be potentially fatal okay well anything any any way of life can be be potentially fatal if you do it in in a in a a way that doesn't help or isn't healthy um so it's a non-argument i think if you're say you're a parent or you're is someone who's maybe thinking about going vegan but you're kind of looking for a reason not to because i think that's what a lot of you know people who are vegan i think i did that as well it's kind of like where you kind of are starting to accept that you should be vegan and you're kind of like oh boy I, i really need to make that change um so you're kind of clinging on to anything in those final moments to to not do it or maybe you're a worried parent and your 14 or 15 year old son or daughter has come to you and said, I want to be vegan. And, and they're like, oh gosh, I don't know. And then they see this headline saying potentially fatal, severe consequences. That parent's going to be naturally worried for their child as they should be. And so when they see these kind of biased headlines that actually have, again, no, there's no substance to them. They, they claim nothing that isn't just factually true, but do it in a way that's misleading and disingenuous to make people draw conclusions. That's very dangerous. And you know, the article itself talks about you know things like B12 and stuff that have been conclusively proven. You know, that you can acquire all these nutrients from from a plant based diet. And in fact, the most credible and respected um, health and nutrition organizations around the world, the American Dietetic Association, the British Dietetic Association, the NHS, these respected medical bodies have categorically stated that a, a well-planned yes a well-planned not poorly planned a well-planned vegan diet is nutritionally adequate healthy and safe for all stages of life including pregnancy and lactation the argument is it, it, it's not there anymore we've moved past it the scientific community has moved past it um, and so these these headlines do nothing to present an alternative argument they just rehash arguments that have been debunked dozens and dozens and dozens of times so when people say to you oh yeah but what about this you say well what has more credibility this particular person or a whole body of work that it that, that draws on varying scientific studies varying data from people from all different walks of life who don't have their own prejudices and their own bias and their own kind of cognitive biases just objective information that's pooled and, and kind of accumulated together and then data is drawn from that what has more veracity from an evidential point of view i mean obviously not the musings of some person even if they are an academic but the collective body of work that's been undertaken over decades from people in different countries different walks of life different biases that's drawing the same conclusion that that is what we should look to and turn to when we're trying to find objective information 
Okay, this article's in The Guardian, which is you think is probably a little bit surprising because The Guardian are, are quite, um, I wouldn't say they know, they're necessarily wholly pro-vegan, but they do do a lot of good vegan stuff, you know, good vegan articles, positive vegan articles, vegan recipes. Um, so they, they do tend to have a probably more pro-vegan edge to them than, well, at least certainly than most places. Um, but this article is an opinion piece. And so, of course, you can see why, you know, it kind of maybe contradicts the values and it's about the environment and you look at people like George Monbiot who are a very very kind of highly respected journalist within the Guardian um, and also environmentalists who are constantly talking about the environmental impact of animal agriculture so and you think is this person's called Isabella Tree and the headline says if you want to save the world veganism isn't the answer intensively farmed meat and dairy are a blight but so are fields of soy and maize there is another way um, and so you kind of think again you objectively see this and you want to be told good things about your bad habits and one thing we're constantly getting told is that veganism a plant-based diet is better for the environment it's been it's been proven again and again and again but you don't want to you don't want necessarily just buy into that information so you see this headline oh veganism isn't the answer to saving the world okay great that's wonderful i don't have to change oh because fields of soya and maize are bad for the environment that's objectively true that that is objectively true these huge fields of soya are, are not good for the environment but the problem is over 85 percent of the soya that is grown is fed to livestock animals in the animal agriculture industry so in essence this headline and this subheading here contradict themselves and isabella proves within two sentences within two different headlines why her argument is flawed straight away if you want to save the world veganism isn't the answer because of intensively farmed fields of soya and maize but the reason they're so bad for the environment is because of animal agriculture in the first place that this is the thing, though. We, we, have, we, we hear these arguments, and, and they, they become tired and repetitive. But when people say them, they often, you know, they're not saying it to be manipulative or to lie necessarily. I'm sure that Isabella genuinely believes that what she's saying has truth to it. I mean, she probably wholly believes that what she says has truth to it. And, and so I hear a lot of the time this argument about soy. Oh, if we weren't vegan, soy farming you know, is terrible for the environment. We'd have to produce more of it, and it'd be worse for the environment. And the Amazon rainforests and all this. And, but actually, the information it contradicts these 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 feelings. We we could reduce the amount of soy that we need to produce by untold amounts if we all went vegan. Um, and also, you know, soy doesn't have to necessarily be farmed in Brazil. The reason it does is it's, it's such a lucrative industry for the cattle industry out there in South America. Um, but you can produce soy in pretty much anywhere. You, I mean, I'm going to move talk about this a little bit later, but we we can look at kind of like indoor um, vertical farming you know where we're producing plants in these big vertical high rises um, but i'll talk a little bit about that later and you can produce soy in that fashion as well um so it's just i think what we have to do and, and one of the things that isn't done a lot of the time is we don't try to try and find verve further validation or verification of the things that we often read about and again this is something called confirmation bias where you, you, you just seek out information that agrees with you um, and you don't read past the headline or read past what it is that you want to take from it um, so i'm sure you know when people read this article by isabella and, and they hear about how how you know how wonderful you know dairy um cattle and sheep farming can be i think that's primarily what she talks about you think well okay it must be fine but there's a hidden hidden thing going on there and i'm, I'm going to come on to this a little bit later and I'll, and I'll draw it all back into context the final headline i want to talk about is this one well, i think this is from the independent but it was published all over so you'll probably be aware of this one it says, a woman who died climbing Everest wanted to prove vegans are not weak. Now, this happened um, a few years ago. A woman climbed Everest. She, she actually reached the summit, but then she died. And the media picks up on it because she was vegan. And they all went mental. And it was like this idea, oh, well, vegans are weak. This proves it because someone climbing Everest died doing so. 
Let's completely ignore the fact that there's been many, many people died in Everest who weren't vegan, and there have also been vegans who have climbed Everest before and survived. No, no, no. This person was vegan and they died in Everest, therefore vegans are uh, you know, unhealthy and not strong. And, and kind of the, the crux of it is that she did this to prove that being vegan means that you can do all the things that non-vegans do um, to prove they're not weak. And this this headline, it's very exploitative. You know, a, a woman's died, but they're, they're pulling on it to kind of try and make a point. You know, and it's an ironic point. Oh, well, this woman tried to do it to prove she's not weak and then she died. It's it's quite manipulative. Um, and, I, and I kind of wanted just to read about this 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 one person. Meet the first vegan ever to climb Mount Everest and conquer the six highest continental summits in record time. The awe-inspiring story of an amateur climber who took the challenge to speed climb the 14 highest peaks in the world on a vegan diet. Um, in less than 24 months, he conquered the highest points of Africa, Europe, South America, Asia, Australia, and Oceania and Antarctica. Putting aside the fact that he did it on a plant-based diet, he broke Guinness records and made history since no other man in sports and alpine history can boast of an achievement like that, climbing six of the world's highest peaks in less than 24 months. Um, his name, Dr. Atanas Skatov, if I'm, producing, if I'm pronouncing that right, originally from Bulgaria, holds a PhD in plant protection and production, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there's a, there's, a, there's a quote from him here, and it says, Four years ago, I decided to make this experiment. I ditched animal products from my diet to prove that a person can live without them, even when there is the maximum amount of strain on his body and mind. The sport with the greatest physical and mental load is high-altitude mountaineering, so I decided to start conquering peaks. I took it as my mission to prove that veganism is healthy, because if we manage to drastically reduce meat consumption, this will radically decrease the pollution and harm we are doing to our planet. Plus, think about it. These are living creatures that we kill in order to eat or use as products. So the reason I'm pulling this isn't to say, Oh, I know well, non-vegans couldn't do this. I'm sure, I'm sure non-vegans, you know, maybe could climb these mountains. The the point is that vegans can do it as well. And I think this 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 kind of whole idea of oh well, this this woman who climbed Everest was vegan, therefore all vegans are weak and stuff is, is outrageous and it, it's disingenuous. I'm using that word a lot today, and I'll continue probably to use it. Disingenuous because it's completely ignoring the fact that people have done this before and have done amazing things on the vegan plant-based diet. Um, it's a null argument. Okay, let's move on um, because. Again, I, 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 I've kind of, I've kind of looked at a few different things, um, and I've come across a few articles, and I'm quite, what I'm quite enjoying about this is I like going through some of these articles and kind of highlighting things step by step, probably a little bit maybe overzealously. Um, but this is an article I came across again um, in Veganery this year, and it was published, I think, in I think it's called the North Wales Live, and the headline says "Vegans in quotes won't save the world," says well-known butcher campaigning for fair debate, um, and, and immediately this, this kind of drew me in because um, I'm interested in, in the the environmental side of stuff. I think the environmental argument is so solid that when I see something that kind of contradicts that, I'm always like, oh, well, okay, let's 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 see what it says. Um, but what really drew me in was just the um, the accolade given to the butcher. Um, you know, there's so much science and there's so many, so many respected organizations talking about the environmental impact of animal agriculture um, that you think that a person who kind of opposes that viewpoint, that they must have some strong accolade to back them up. And kind of, it, it just kind of made me laugh when it just says, well, well he's well known. Um, you know, the reason we're supposed to listen to this butcher's point of view is, is because he's well known well-known within his community, like well-known within the people who come and, and buy flesh from him. It's well-known butcher. I just, I, I couldn't help but be tickled that. And I thought, well, I wanna, I'm interested to know what he says then. Um, and so this is the article. Edwards of Conway owner, um, I might pronounce his name wrong, but Lewin Edwards enters the debate on the rise of veganism. I like that enters the debate, debate like he just walks into the arena. Um, a well-known butcher, again, well-known, like this is something that, oh, hang on a second, like oh, a butcher? No, he's a well-known butcher. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I should probably listen to what he has to say. A well-known butcher is campaigning for a fair debate on the benefits of veganism, saying going vegan won't save the world. 
a, a fair debate. This is interesting. The insinuation here, again, that the debate isn't fair. It's, it's just not fair, okay? These vegans, they're not playing by the rules. They're not being fair. I want a debate that is, is just a moral because all I'm seeing so far is a really unfair debate. What do you mean unfair? Like, that again, just what does it mean? He's entered the arena for a fair debate. Veganism is a hot topic at the moment with the claimed benefits of going vegan, including better health and environmental concerns like the methane emissions of livestock. That is, you know, obviously one concern is, is greenhouse gas emissions emitted from the animal agriculture industry. But Butcher, Lewin Edwards, owner of Edwards of Conway, is determined to press the case for responsible livestock farming. Okay. The Butcher has been tweeting out messages like, thinking of going vegan for the new year? Think again. Sharing articles that question the view that going vegan is the healthier and more environmentally friendly thing to do. And so this Butcher, this one on Butcher, has been featured in an article published by an organization because he, he posted a, a couple of tweets and I read this and thought to myself, what's happened to the integrity of journalism? Where's the investigative journalism anymore? Where all it takes is someone from a local community to put some tweets out with their own personal beliefs and they get an article dedicated to what they believe to be true. Where is this kind of objective, um, the objective integrity of journalism? I couldn't understand this. I was like, hang on a minute. He must know a journalist within this organization or they must, maybe that's why he's well known. He's well known within North Wales Live because I just don't understand how, how you can put tweets out like this and, and then be given an opportunity to actually have your views put onto a platform. He spoke to the Daily Post. Okay, so it's called the Daily Post, North Wales Live. He spoke to the Daily Post about the need for a balanced debate on the subject. Again, fair debate, balanced debate. Like the debate so far has been completely unbalanced. Like the, the, the insinuation there is veganism's rising, but the reason it's rising is because there's just not been a balanced debate so far. The, the debate's so unbalanced. And I'm, well, hang on a second, because I keep getting told that vegan, you know, vegans make a tiny amount of the, a tiny minority of the population. True. We you know, demographically speaking, we are a small, um, you know, amount of the population. So how come a small amount of the population have, have kind of created this debate that's so vastly unfair? We're completely outnumbered. Most people don't agree with us or want to not agree with us. So how is the debate not fair on your side or on their side? How is it balanced in our favour? Um, okay, but he wants he 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 feels that there's a need for a balanced debate. Okay, um, okay, fine. Let's just say there is. Let's say that there's not been. There's no two sides of the argument. There's only one side, and now you've entered the arena to tell to tell me um, why this needs to be fair. He said, veganism is a trend at the moment and there is a lot of publicity around it, but it's not all milk and honey. Very good. I will keep banging the drum to ensure that we have a grown-up debate, a grown-up debate, fair debate, balanced debate, grown-up debate. Again, the debate so far has been childish, has it? I mean, what? Let, let's act like adults now. Okay, the, the children have had their fun. The vegans are acting like children with all their statistics and all their footage taken objectively. from. Let, let's have a grown-up debate and act like adults because so far it's just been childish. So it's unfair, it's it's not balanced, and it's childish. Uh, okay, that's that, that, a grown-up debate. Um, and it's not one-sided so that we get to the facts. Again, I don't understand how this debate so far is one-sided. I, I, I've gone through a whole score of different different headlines and different you know media outlets discussing or kind of going against what vegans are saying. It's not how is it one-sided when the majority of people don't agree with something or the majority of people are actively seeking out information that disagrees with the point of view of the side that is apparently one-sided so that we get to the facts. Well, yeah, I mean, we all want the facts, but the facts that are being shown, the facts that are being displayed and the facts that are being permeated through society 
are the facts and they are pro-vegan because they are the facts not that they're being manipulated or it's one-sided it's just it just so happens the facts happen to be pro-vegan because the stance of veganism is the stance of what is true um if you want to be vegan that's fine but don't think you're going to be saving the world this is his quote if we turn the planet into a giant veg patch is the surefire way to destroy it what what does that even mean a a giant veg patch (laughs) The University of Oxford, and now this is quoted at the end, um, not this particular part of it, but um, part of the University of Oxford study. There was a five-year study conducted by the University of Oxford, of Oxford, sorry, that showed um, that a plant-based world, you know, a world where everyone ate a plant-based diet, we could reduce the amount of agricultural land that we needed by 75%. Like before I said, you know, 85% of soy farm is, is used to feed livestock animals. Actually, if the world went plant-based, we could reduce the amount of giant veg patches that we needed. And of course, you know, certain crops and certain production of of fruits and vegetables will increase. But across the board, the amount of crops that we're producing will drastically come down because we, we know we kill a slaughter conservatively 56 billion land animals. Some people say 75 billion land animals. I've heard 150 billion animals. But let's just let's play it with a conservative figure and say that we slaughter 56 billion land animals every single year those 56 billion land animals are consuming something a certain proportion of them will be consuming you know grass from fields but the majority of them are consuming soy and maize and barley and wheat um, and all these products that are produced in 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 giant veg patches so actually no the 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 truth the the evidence the facts contradict what you're saying um actually it's not going to destroy the world to go plant-based it's going to do the opposite continuing around down the road that we are uh, currently on is what's going to destroy our planet because as science is showing it's it's these it's the production of animal products that is driving so many of the environmental problems that we are facing i'm not saying it's the only thing it's not the only thing there are many other issues that we need to face from an environmental point of view but that does not disregard the fact that animal agriculture is the leading driving force of many of these issues and is the simplest thing that we can do as individuals to bring about change within our own lives that is just an objective truth and 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 going vegan is not going to destroy the planet because of a giant veg patch the opposite will happen his argument is that multi-pasture grazing particularly in areas where crop growing is not economic or even possible is crucial to feeding the world's growing population again this is this is just factually incorrect and this is and this is what annoys me you have a publication that is producing content that is littered with inaccuracies and things that have and statements speculation that's just factually incorrect there's no evidence there to support this this is someone's belief um but actually it's not true because we currently grow enough food to feed over 10 billion people maybe as many as 12 billion people but the food that we grow we feed to livestock animals we have enough food now to feed every single hungry mouth on this world and do so for decades to come but the reason that we currently don't is because we have 56 billion land animals conservatively that we slaughter every single year who have mouths who need to be fed and so actually what is unanimously agreed on is that actually to compensate or to to be able to manage feeding the mouths of a grown population we need to change the system that we have now multi-pasture grazing is not going to help that problem 
it's going to exasperate the problem because you know what 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 this this well-known butcher is is advocating for is is kind of a a method of farming that takes animals out of barns and stuff and puts them onto fields well the, the, the thing is 45 percent of the earth's total ice-free land is currently used for animal agriculture right so the reason that we factory farm is not because we are inherently a cruel species and we get kicks out of seeing animals suffering you know that that's not the reason we do it the reason we do it is because it's economical and it's the only way that we can try and make it in the least bit environmental because if you take all the animals that are in farms right now the billions of them and put them on fields to roam in multi-pasture grazing systems there's literally there just is simply not enough land to do so and so if you want to advocate for a multi-pasture grazing system inherently what you're advocating for is a significant reduction in the number of animal products being produced the reason we factory farm is to meet the demand the only way we can meet the demand is to is to supply these products in a way that is is economical and effective in terms of space usage but if you want to use a multi-pasture grazing system that eradicates the 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 ability to meet the demand of 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 consumers and so you're going to drastically reduce the demand of these products not only that but you're going to increase the prices of them which is classist in itself meaning only the wealthy people in society will be able to afford them and the poor people will have to go plant-based anyway because they won't be able to afford these systems of farming because the number of animals that we produce will be killed well the number of animals we're killing will be so drastically reduced the price of these products will increase so the system is not going to help feed the world's grown population it's actually going to turn more people to our plant-based diet because it's the only way they'll be able to afford to feed themselves and get the sustenance to feed themselves so again economically environmentally it's it's a false idea he added that under this system the benefits of carbon capture from properly managed grazed grasslands outweigh the methane emissions of livestock with manure trampled in the soil providing nutrients but when you when you look at the context again and you look at all the different elements of what's been advocated for here it doesn't add up again now I, I honestly don't know necessarily about the, the the benefits of carbon capture and whether it will completely outweigh or neutralize um, the methane emissions of livestock. Let's say for the sake of argument that, that he's completely correct uh, and a multi-pasture grazing system in the way that he's describing will outweigh the, the methane emissions of, of, of the livestock he's producing. First of all, we've already discussed that we don't have enough land to meet demand, um, which means the price of these products will, will increase anyway and people won't be able to afford them. So it's classist and elitist in itself. Um, but also, let's just kind of understand that especially here in the UK, indeed across everywhere, there's these huge areas that are just flatlands, just flatlands, right? Just just fields of flatlands for crops, a lot of which is for animals and also for animal grazing, which means that over periods of time, over decades in history, what we've done is we've destroyed so many ecosystems, predominantly forests, woodlands, natural habitats for animals um, to make fields and make space for these animals to graze. So, if we're talking about kind of creating a carbon neutral environment or an environment which is a, a significant reduction of methane emissions, that, that is an environment where they have trees and forest lands and woodlands. But we've destroyed that for animal agriculture. So actually, what, what would be even better is we stop grazing animals on, on these lands. We stop producing crops on these lands for those animals or animals that we factory farm. And we allow those ecosystems to simply replenish. We allow the woodlands to come back, the forests to come back, because what trees do amazing is they absorb carbon dioxide and they release oxygen. They are carbon neutral, more carbon neutral than grazing cows, cattle and sheep in in a system of multi-pasture grazing. So if we really care about methane emissions, just leave the land. Stop using it for animal agriculture. Allow those ecosystems and, and and those wildlands and forests and woodlands to replenish. And that will help 
combat the issues that we have with greenhouse gas emissions a lot more than trying to campaign for a system of farming that reduces methane, methane emissions from, from animals that produce lots of methane like cows um, and, uh, and sheep. So again, it doesn't add up. But also, let's talk about um, kind of vertical farming systems. Um, and so this is a really big trend that's happening um, and is, is really going to revolutionize farming. Um, basically, you, you can do it in cities, which you know reduces the amount of travel miles um, needed to transport food to, from city to city. You take things like warehouses or abandoned buildings, big areas, um, and you can produce contained farming systems inside. Um, and you can grow any crop theoretically that you want inside because you're, you're simulating a version of nature. Now you can think, well, that's a bit dodgy, but really it's, it's just, you know, you have a, kind of like a, a bed of, of, of lettuce, for example, and then you have a water through a filtration system, um, which means you can reduce the amount of water and land you need by up to 95% in these systems. I think as we progress in, into, the, into the future, especially when we consider the amount of topsoil erosion that exists, the amount of land desertification exists, the fact that we destroyed nutrients in so much of the soil, you know, not just for animal farming, but hugely because of animal farming. You know, obviously plant farming and crop farming in general, even for human consumption, has had these problems because of shortcuts that we take, fertilizers, pesticides, etc., things like that. But this system of vertical farming is a way of combating that. There's no herbicides, no pesticides, there's no GMOs. None of that's needed because it's all controlled and self-contained. Um, and in essence, this is going to be a future of, of farming, of plant farming, um, which again will be a lot better for the environment than a multi-pasture grazing system. Anyway, let's kind of, kind of move on. Um, he added, also imagine next to 1 billion on the planet all eating beans. Imagine how much methane that will produce. A lot less than 1 billion people eating cows and sheep and all the other animals. And in fact, again, it's been advocated that we need to start eating five times as many beans as we currently have. The methane emissions of beans are just completely, you can't equate them you know, to what happens for animal farming. We have a growing population and there are places you know, cannot grow crops like on the side of Snowdon. Okay, well, let's just stop using the side of Snowdon for producing, for, for producing animals as well. Just because you can't produce crops and something doesn't mean let's kind of fill it up with animals. Let's just allow that land to be that land and to replenish and allow deer and, and birds and insects and all the animals that thrive in nature and within, within these ecosystems. Let's allow them to occupy that land. Like We don't have to occupy that land ourselves for any usage. Um, it's, it's, it's simply not necessary. If you remove grazing livestock from these places, the world will starve. No, we've already been through that. That is just demonstrably untrue. It, it, the opposite is, is, is true. Let's eliminate animal agriculture and let's start feeding all the crops that we produce to, to people who need it most. Uh, I see the point from the vegan side and they talk about the environmental impact of grain-fed cattle. We need to turn back the clock in farming and in the UK, 90% of livestock farming is on grazing land. Okay, but this is what's really interesting. The whole article was talking about a fair debate, a balanced debate. It was talking about a grown-up debate. Um, and so on the one hand, what we have is a well-known butcher. Um, he's presenting the argument from his point of view. This is a balanced argument. So we have his voice. He is the voice of, of the anti-vegan argument, um, a well-known butcher. And so in the last bit here, we've had a whole article dedicated to his beliefs. But what we do get here is two paragraphs, two paragraphs, okay, um, dedicated to the other side of the story. Um, and I guess this is where it becomes balanced and not one-sided and grown up. And so, and this, this part says, last year, researchers at the University of Oxford found that cutting meat and dairy products from a person's diet could reduce an individual's carbon footprint um, from food by up to 73%. Lead author Joseph Poor said, a vegan diet is probably the single biggest way to reduce your impact on planet Earth, not just greenhouse gases, but global acidification, eutrophication, land use, and water use. And so he touches upon the fact that this is bigger 
than just methane emissions. This is bigger than just greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions. That's a huge part of it. But what we do with animals is so much bigger than just those things alone, which is why I was talking about destruction of habitats, destruction of woodlands, rainforest destruction, all these elements that are not discussed in here, but have to happen for grazing of, of animals. And presumably, if we're going to be grazing more animals to feed another billion people, we're going to need to clear more land, more rainforest to be able to do that, not only for the animal grazing, but, you know, just because there's, you know, we've destroyed soil and destroyed land in, in so many other ways. So that, that's that's it then. So it just kind of it strikes me as strange that this butch is campaigning for a, a, a balanced debate, but the debate is balanced. The, the, the debate is the University of Oxford versus your beliefs. The University of Oxford, a five-year study that looks at data, looks at statistics, that does you know reviews and and looks at worldwide farming compared to a belief that it doesn't. I don't see any statistics. I don't see any sources. I don't see any reputable evidence to to suggest what you're saying is true, other than just you believe it to be true. Um, so that's the balanced debate. And and if 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 you can't see the fact that the University of Oxford, a five-year study conducted by them, has more credibility than a well-known butcher, in, then well, I don't I don't really know what else to say. But it struck me as strange when I was saying when I was reading that first time because I thought this is madness. But then people are going to be reading that, and like I said, confirmation bias, status quo bias, all these different things mean they're just going to read what they want to read from it, which is that you can produce animal products in in a way that's environmentally sustainable, even though there's there's very it's very credible contradictory information but that's not what people are going to read and that's why journalism should be held accountable when they produce um content that's full of speculation um that's full of of of, of um of statements without any resources or sources or or, or scientific backing um we, we should be very we should be very doubtful it's, it's funny but it's it's also dangerous because it might not be a big publication but people will have read that and probably wanted to side with the side that they already exist on which isn't the university of oxford in this situation it's, it's this butcher um and then this is this is this is this is the beautiful thing lewin edwards added this is right at the bottom of the article in my view a good diet is about moderation and that will always be best for the planet simply untrue that's it's just not true all i want is a balanced debate but there is your balanced debate the balanced debate is what you've said versus what the university of oxford have said how how can it be any more balanced two points of view put forward which is what's happening with the vegan argument two points of view have been put forward it just so happens the point of view that's becoming most credible is the vegan one because the evidence and the studies are showing that to be true it's not some one-sided childish debate it's just evidential that's what's happening um and again moderation is is an interesting idea this this notion of moderation when you can can do anything in moderation what even is moderation five times a week six times a week once a week who decides what's moderate i mean i would argue that it you know consuming any animal products defies any notion of, of moderation because for that animal it doesn't matter how much or how little you produce they're still suffering and they're still being killed and that is kind of the bottom line in, in this argument of moderation and, and again it's just it's demonstrably untrue and has been proven as such um, and will continue to be proven as such as we progress um, further into the future and so i think what we're going to see more of um is kind of this disassociation if you like of of the evidence um a disassociation of, of what is objectively true um and increasing kind of wandering into the fields of speculation um but also i think i want to talk a little bit about what happened last year and how that's still impacting this this year beginning last year went very very well and as such there was a massive pushback from the industry um, and there was a piece aired by the BBC, um, and the piece was aired um, alongside a live debate that I did with a dairy farmer. 
Um, but the piece, or within the piece, the segment that was, that was produced by the BBC, it, there was a farmer in there who said that she'd received death threats from vegans. And so the media kicked off about this and they went mental saying vegans are sending death threats, vegans harassing farmers, they're doing all these horrible things. The media caught it and just ran with it. Now, a few weeks later, the farmer who said she'd received death threats publicly stated that she had not received any death threats. She was lying. But of course, the media had already picked it up and had already ran with it. And so it became solidified within society that vegans were sending death threats to farmers. And this is something that we're still kind of dealing with in a sense. I say dealing with, I don't see it as being a massive setback. In fact, I see it as actually being, in a weird way, a positive thing. So hear me out. The media, they can't argue, and farmers, they can't argue with what we are saying. What we are claiming is 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 true animals suffer these mutilations happen these things happen to animals what's been documented is 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 ubiquitous what we do to animals is systematic um, and it can't be argued against and so what we are seeing more and more of is what i was talking about right at the beginning which is if you can't attack the message you attack the messenger and what better way to attack a messenger than to portray them as these violent people sending death threats to hard-working farmers who are just trying to feed britain and that's exactly what they've done because you can't refute what been said you can't turn around and say pigs aren't being gassed in gas chambers because they are you can't turn around and say that dairy cows aren't being taken away from the mothers because they are and you can't say that happens in isolated cases because it doesn't so what you can do is attack the messenger so i see this as a positive thing they recognize that in an honest debate um, between you know a farmer and a vegan you know what the vegan says cannot be argued against and so this kind of happened when i had the debate with the dairy farmer um he couldn't say no to the questions I was asking him about taking, you know, the babies away from mothers. He couldn't say no to that because it's untrue. Um, and and so, you know, he didn't do this because he wasn't able to, but there was this idea of, like, me trespassing. Oh, you've trespassed on farms. Like, yeah, okay, I've, I've walked onto farms before and document what happens to animals. But that doesn't negate the fact that what I've shown happening to these animals, that doesn't mean it's not happening. It, it is happening. Perspective is key. What is more important? What is more righteous in this situation? Someone acting in a way that might not be deemed completely acceptable or, or acceptable in, in, in a universal setting. But of course, context is very, very you know paramount to this conversation. Or what is happening to these animals and the fact that they are suffering and the fact that consumers are being lied to and misled. That's the true atrocity what's happening to animals. And the fact that what's happening to animals or the story like that tweet said from that farmer is not being shown in its entirety and so i don't see it necessarily as a bad thing that the death the, the death threat thing became the predominant argument against veganism in the media because it showed that there are no arguments against veganism in the media but we are we are still struggling with that idea and although i would claim that it is, is unfounded I, i'm not going to make the claim that no death threat has been sent ever um, but what i can say is that it probably happens on both sides and you know historically look at acts of violence it's the hunters or the farmers that have historically been more violent to the vegans than i'd say the other way around it doesn't mean that vegans are passionate and aren't you know loud and, and, and aren't a nuisance but there's a difference between being a nuisance and being violent and i think often that that, that comparison isn't always um drawn um so what I think we have to be very conscious of is how we come across and how we advocate and how we um, are perceived. And I think we have to analyze everything that we do in a way of how will I look in this situation? You know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with having like a little pros and cons thing and saying if the media get hold of what I'm doing, this action or whatever it is, you know, can they twist it in a way that could be seen as negative? And I think that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't say these things. I think we have to be aware. And I think what we have to be to be very consistent in, in how we advocate and consistent in, in, in the things that we say. 
let's just stay on point let's keep it logical let's keep it rational you know that that's all we have to do let's not you know veganism isn't a, isn't, isn't a motive issue it's 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 about emotion but it's not that's not the that's not the main force behind it the main force is pure logic um and so we don't let's not be over overly emotional in our advocacy let's just keep it grounded let's just keep it logical let's just keep it to the point where you can't argue against it because you you can't argue against what's happening to animals and, and most people in society will recognize that what's happening to them is wrong and then when asked for a justification that morally kind of allows that to happen you you can't think of one because with the absence of it being a necessity what we do to animals is unnecessary and as a society we preach that unnecessary suffering committed towards others is wrong so again let's apply that that moral code and, and our values let's apply them universally okay if you don't have to harm others then then you shouldn't um let's apply that to, to all species not just to humans or dogs and cats but to the animals that we that we that we have isolated as being animals that should be exploited um so let's just keep on, on focus let's educate ourselves let's you know let's read more let's delve into kind of farmers weekly and and, and into things that contradict our values or contradict our beliefs and let's look at how they're word and let's look at the arguments being used and see how we can debunk them or how we can go through them how we can prove them to not be as um true or maybe not as credible um as you know maybe they're proclaimed as being um i think that that's kind of the take home from what i want to say is that moving forward um once we get past this kind of like our oh, vegans a violent thing there will be no leg to stand on anymore um i see this kind of deference thing as like the last grasp because what can you do after that you know it doesn't really get much worse than you know vegans are sending deference um so let's just keep let's just keep pushing on and let's make sure that every media appearance that we have that we, we we're very much careful of how we present ourselves i think i think that's kind of the key for this be mindful of how you talk to other people how you act around other people the things you say the language that you use and something that i need to you know I, you know let's go back to that thing i said in, in the i'm right smart speech where i said last animal farm should be closed forever and burnt to the ground now, i said that in an emotive heat of the moment thing and and although there was no incitement of violence there on reflection i i, I wouldn't say burnt to the ground in future i would say something like you know i promise your future exists for last animal farm is, is closed forever and is you know and is and is, is used as a relic of our violent history and is shown to our children to prove that what we used to do is wrong and abhorrent and that's why we changed is used as a museum that we can take people around to show them the violence that we used to commit i think that probably would have been a more effective thing to say and potentially more emotive and so let's self-reflect on the things that we say and the things that we do and um and let's not you know let's not hold too much on on to to our preconceived values as well let's kind of be open-minded to change because i think that's what i've you know this dispatches thing has kind of maybe taught me a little bit more about you know as we progress into a a very much a different kind of thing and as as media becomes more of a big issue and as we need to touch more into mainstream media with our values it it is important that we come across in in a a way that it doesn't perpetuate the way they want to present us um you know i think it's important to to self-reflect in that way and that's what i think that allowed me to do which i'm actually very grateful for um and so I guess that really is a roundup of, of how I'm feeling. I quite enjoy going through these these things and, and talking about what's said in them. Um, but I do want to say at the end, there's a lot of positive media. It's not all negative. I've chosen some negative headlines. But actually, there's a lot of positive media coming out. And I think it's coming to that point now where there might even be slightly more positive media coming out. Because like I say, 
journalism is about integrity. It's about honesty. It's about truth. And there will always be um, sensationalist headlines that take studies out of context or don't reveal the true story. But as more and more studies and more and more information and more and more evidence is produced, the media has no choice but to report on that. You know, a, a credible media institution has no choice but to report on that. Um, and so I think as we move forward into the future and as these things become more readily accepted and more readily available in terms of the information, um, the headlines and, and the journalism and the media, both on TV on radio or wherever it is will reflect that change in attitudes within consumers but also um, within credibility of information as well um, so I don't think it's good to be like our oh, media have this out to get us I don't believe that to be true um, I just think that there has been a bias in the media against vegans at times because of things like journalists not being vegan or because they need to generate clicks and revenue and add traffic and, and such to their sites um, but yeah thank you so much for listening um, I hope you found this enjoyable. I, I certainly did. And going through these things and talking about them is something that you know I, I'm really looking forward to, to doing in, in future episodes as well. Um, so thank you to all of you for tuning in and, and for listening to the end. If you've got this far, I really, I really appreciate it. And I hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, but I do want to say right now at the end, a special thank you to my patron team, um, without whom I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do. Um, and so I'm very grateful for each and every one of you who supports me, who uh, believes in me, who trusts in me and has allowed me to do the things that I've done so far. Thank you so much. Um, I am really indebted to you um, and for the support and trust that you give me. So I just want to say that at the end, I think it's important to make, make a point of that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I look forward to, to seeing you in the next podcast or, or should I say, I look forward to you listening to me in the next podcast. Um, but until then, keep an eye out for what's happening in the media um, and be mindful and conscious of how we advocate and what kind of activists we are. Um, education is key. You know, education is the key for so much in this world. And, and, and a lot of what happens in terms of what we do to animals is founded on ignorance. And the, the you know, how to counteract ignorance is through education and through knowledge. And so that means knowledge that we have to acquire ourselves before we can give to others. So, yeah, I hope you, uh, hope you have a great week. Um, and uh, we will speak soon, I guess, is the phrasing used for the podcast. But thank you again so much, um, and I look forward to, to chatting with you again in the future.